Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Uh, I have a great show for you today. Um, We're going to be hearing some really interesting um, stories of triumph and tragedy and triumph. And I'm calling the show Wrestling with the Devil. And you'll understand that as we start talking, my guests and I. And um, one of my, my guests is Scott Glab, who is a wrestling coach, um, and I'll give you his background in a minute, but his book is called A Saint in the City, Coaching At-Risk Kids to be Champions. So, you know, I figured his book is called A Saint in the City. I'll, I'll go with that theme and call today Wrestling with the Devil. So, and my second guest is Anthony Ravellis. He is a student of Scott's, and he is an example. I mean, you, you wouldn't believe, it's hard to believe that his story is true because of how, how many awful things he has survived at his young age and how he has blossomed and become a champ under the tutelage of Coach Scott Glab. But really, um, one child should not have to, uh, it, it's, it's, I mean, I know it's true, of course, but it is just really sad and shocking that there are children, not just like Anthony, I mean, not just Anthony, but children like Anthony, both in Coach Glab's um, wrestling programs in inner cities, but um, all over America in inner cities. And, you know, I think... Uh, Today, we will hopefully be able to inspire you and get you to see how even kids who are coming from the most difficult backgrounds do have hope and can be given hope and can be put on a better path in life if they have someone like a Coach Scott Glab in their, um, in their school, in their, in, who call, someone like that who comes into their life before, before it's too late. So why don't we start with Scott? Um, let me give you a little bit about his background. He was born and grew up in the state of Washington. Uh, he wrestled competitively in in college. He has taught in the public school system for 34 years, with 29 of those years being at Santa Ana High School, which is in Southern California. And this city, Santa Ana, and I've been there. Um, it is. It was once ranked number one in the nation for economic hardship. And um, when Scott came into Santa Ana High School, uh, the wrestling program was really down in the dumps, really not respected at all. And with his um, coaching philosophy, he transformed lives, and he has taken the team to new heights. And they are both speaking to us today from Santa Ana High School. Um, he now brought this, this really pretty, pretty pathetic wrestling team at Santa Ana High to have 27 straight league championships, 
13 Southern section titles. He's coached state and national champions as well as UFC fighter and ESPN analyst Gilbert El Nino Melendez. He was a two-time, well, I'll give the rest of his bio later on because otherwise the whole show is going to be his bio. Take it. <laughs> you, can, you get the picture. He is a top wrestling coach, and it's not just in terms, it's not just because he's a great wrestling wrestler uh, or great at teaching wrestling. It's because of what else he brings with him, how he inspires these at-risk kids to think about, you know, taking a chance um, on, on trying, on finding, becoming a champion, which for an at-risk child is a very difficult kind of thing to get them to believe in to begin with. So, um, let, without further ado, I will introduce Scott again. His book is called A Saint in the City, Coaching At-Risk Kids to be Champions. So, welcome to the show, Scott. Hey, thank you very much, Carol. I really appreciate you having us on. This is a great opportunity to get our story out there. Thank you. So the first thing I want to ask, you're very welcome. The first thing I want to ask you is, I think I know, but what exactly, how did you get to that title, A Saint in the City? Oh, so three, I mean, are you three things. Saint? Are you no, okay. I'm, I'm not the saint. I'm not the saint. We're, we're <laughs> the Santa Ana Saints. That's the name of the school. We're the same. Ah, okay. And I, yeah. I kind of infused a philosophy of um, faith into the program. I started Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I think that was a huge, huge help. And then I think you need to be a saint to work in this city, cause it, or, or to be a public school teacher here, or to really work with youth in this city, because it's a, it's a real struggle, and uh, it can be heartbreaking and painful for those who are trying to save these kids and give them a little hope, like you mentioned earlier. So that's why I called it that. Uh-huh. Ah, okay. So tell us about, you know, I always am fascinated as a psychiatrist, of course, fascinated by how people come to write the books that they do and, and actually have the lives that they do. So take us, you know, um, start with your childhood. <laughs> okay, actually, I'll make it quick. Um, so oh, my father was a mean alcoholic, and at seven years old, my mom finally did the right thing and divorced my father. He later on got involved in drugs. And uh, when I was 18 at my graduation, he asked me, he told me I could do drugs because he does drugs too. Gave me pretty much permission. At the age of 16, I knew I wanted to be a wrestling coach and a teacher. So I wanted to stay connected to the sport that gave me so much um, uh, inspiration. It gave me... Uh, a purpose. Uh, I found ambition through wrestling. So I went to college. I became a teacher. I got out of college, Eastern Washington University. I graduated. And once I got out of college, I started going through a deep depression. I was very suicidal. In fact, I had to admit myself in a psychiatric care unit on a 5150, June of 1988, before I moved down to California. I couldn't find a job to save my life. I went back to my old high school. They didn't hire me as a coach and a teacher. And so I had a girlfriend and a sister that lived down here and they said well what do you got to lose why don't you move to California when I came to visit I didn't like it here I thought it was a little stuffy people were a little arrogant very crowded a lot different than uh, growing up in Washington State 
I got down here and I started doing some counseling with a, a local pastor and found out I had a lot of abandonment issues with my father and that basically all I needed, wanted was him to play catch with me, which he never really had any time to do. I was at Marina High School in Huntington Beach for a couple of years and I, I quit that job because I felt I was being disrespected. I was a young coach, 26 years old. I had the same philosophy my coach had. And the athletic director said, well, Santa Ana High School needs a wrestling coach. And I go, I don't even like driving through Santa Ana, let alone work in Santa Ana. Mm -hmm. But I had no other options. And I walked in and I shook hands with the athletic director. And he just looked at me and said, you're hired. And I go, you didn't ask me any questions. He goes, nobody else applied for the job. So obviously <laughs> people knew something about Santa Ana that I didn't. And I came into a whole new culture. We're 98% Hispanic at this school. And nobody prepared me for what I was about to face, the culture, the, the lifestyle. It was totally different than what I was used to. And I was up against a, a, a brick wall, as you can say. And, and on top of that, with the cultural shock, I thought I had to win because as a young coach, you put yourself worth in winning. And we were losing 72 to nothing, 53 to 8. We were just getting hammered. In fact, after one match, my heavyweight lost, and he chased a kid with a folding chair all over the gym and then threw the chair across the wrestling mat. So that's kind of what I was up against. The, the kids had no discipline. They lacked commitment. They weren't showing up for practices. They'd show up co for competitions if it was convenient for them. And then I was breaking up fights weekly in the wrestling room. Excuses like I got to go pay my phone bill and I got to go feed the dog and I got to go home and vacuum. And I just didn't understand what these kids were going through. I had no idea the struggles and the adversity that they were facing when I first got here. Well, that's a fascinating story. So really, so much of what you had in your childhood is like mm -hmm. what a lot of the kids are facing. So you obviously can empathize with them because you've been there. Right. I think going and being depressed and getting the help that I did and the therapy that I, and I worked through it, it, it allowed me to have compassion for them. Uh, up to that point, I thought I was going to be up in Seattle working at my nice middle-class high school out in the suburbs of Seattle and just coach wrestling and girls softball. That's what my plan was, but God had a different plan for me and brought me all the way down here to somewhere I just didn't even understand or have a clue of or even know of. So, so when you, you played, you wrestled in high school as well, not just college, right? Yeah, I wrestled in high school, junior high, and college, but I just I wasn't very good at it. In fact, my first year wrestling, I didn't win any matches. Well, I won one match, but it didn't count because uh, I was the only one keeping score in my head, and it was a practice match. So, so yeah, I wasn't very successful at wrestling like I wanted to be, uh, but I just, I just loved what the sport did for me uh, mentally and physically, spiritually, all, all of it. And so when you were in college, um, what, what, what did you major in? I majored in education with speech and English, so teaching speech, communications, and English. So that's what I ended up teaching here is English and speech. You mean, oh, you teach that in addition to, I say, you actually yeah, teach Yeah, yeah, I'm that a teacher here, yes. Uh-huh, right. Uh-huh. Yep. And so, um, so was it that when your, your high school didn't want you to be a coach there or a teacher there, that that is what kind yeah, of set I, you into I, I, Tailspin? 
I just came, I came back to my whole old high school. I volunteered for three years as a coach, and I substitute Todd. And when my, head, my old high school coach left, he said, I'm going to recommend you for my job. But then they hired a guy that was, you know, in the school district longer and basically said this guy paid his dues. And, um, huh. you know, unfortunately, he ended up being a, a pedophile years down the road. And I, you know, I always wanted to go back and teach at my old high school, but that wasn't the plan. That wasn't, you know, God's plan mm-hmm. for my life, I guess. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's have um, Anthony uh, come in here. Anthony, let, before telling about your story um, directly, specifically, what, I mean, I guess you knew, uh, what do you, actually, Scott, what do kids call you, Scott? Coach Scott or Coach Glab? Oh, they call Glab. me Coach Glab. Coach Glab. Okay. Or Glab. Okay. Most of them just call me Glab <laughs> with no coach on the beginning. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Anthony, what, um, yeah. what do you have to say about what Coach Glab just uh, recounted? Maybe you've heard that already, but what, what reaction do you have right now? Honestly, I, like, I feel like he grew up a lot like a lot of the kids here. So that he understood a lot of the things that we were going through. You know, that's how he learned how to like, change us, give us hope, make us realize, you know, we're not alone, even though it feels like it. Did he tell um, you and, and other kids um, about his background? Uh, I mean, is that, was that part of it, that that made you feel more comfortable and, like, he could make it so maybe you could? Yeah, most definitely, you know, like, because every time, like, if a kid sees a white person around here, like, oh, you know, he had the good life. He had the life where he got everything he wanted, you know, everything was paid for him, you know, and it wasn't like that for him. And so that was a big, like, game changer. Kids, like, they saw, when God spoke about his story, they saw that, like, it wasn't just them, you know. Well, that's what I saw. It wasn't mm-hmm. just me that was just like that. And poverty, just being mm-hmm. poor, or he's having to work, you know, and, like, God... He's a very successful man. He he sh- he told us and showed us he came from dirt, nothing, and look where he's at now, just because of hard work and dedication. Mhm. Mhm. You know, a lot of times, you know, like, like the stuff he told me during high school, like I were, I wish I would have listened a lot more, a lot, a lot more. Like a lot of times, it did just go in one ear and out the other. Um, because I always thought like, who's this guy thinking like? knows what's up but he really does like everything he's told me in high school is, is true to this day I still go by a lot of the things that he tells me and it's really helped me out a lot so how old are you I am 19 right Anthony. now I'm about to be I'm 19 I'm about to be 20 in June so um you you already were graduated from high school yeah that, this was last year I graduated last year so, okay, so then, and, and are you continuing to go to school now, or what are you doing? Yes, right now, while well, I'm just saving up a little money so I could re-enroll into college, I'm, I'm going to go to SAC, sign on a college to get my welding certificates, and then after that, I'm going to go to Golden West College to specialize in Hondas. In Hondas? Yeah, to be an auto mechanic. Huh, okay, you have it all planned out. That's great. Um, okay. So, so you just came back today to Santa Ana High School to do this, um, interview, Mm -hmm. right? Yes, ma'am. Uh-huh. Well, 
Thank you for that. All right. Well, I want to um, I want to take a break now because um, when we come back, um, I want Scott to talk about about the book and about the stories, some of the stories in the book, and we'll um, mm-hmm. we'll talk about that for a little while, and then we'll talk about Anthony's story, which, as yeah. I said, is unbelievable. Except obviously, he is telling the truth. So, all right. Mm-hmm. So, again, my guests are Scott Glab. He is the coach at Santa Ana High School. His book is called A Saint in the City, Coaching At-Risk Kids to be Champions. And Anthony Ravellis, who um, we just heard was graduated from high school and is going to go to college to pursue his dreams. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, uh, talking today about wrestling with the devil. Um, I play on um, a book that one of my guests wrote, Scott Glab. He wrote a book called A Saint in the City, Coaching At-Risk Kids to be Champions. And wrestling with the devil, as you will now come to hear, um, is really, I'm really referring to kids escaping their nightmare childhoods through wrestling. And, um, you know, the, uh, it, it's essentially like wrestling with the devil. I mean, wrestling to, to get to mm-hmm. the point of being able to, to escape these nightmare childhoods. So, Scott, first of all, 
Oh, let me again say, Scott um, Glab has been two times State Wrestling Coach of the Year. He's been inducted into the National and California Wrestling Halls of Fame. And um, he, they, he and my other guest, Anthony Ravellis, are speaking to us from Santa Ana High School in Southern California. And um, so, Scott, what made you, where did you get the idea and what did you want to... Um, to people to understand in your book, Saint in the City. So, people, uh, a, a few, yeah, a few of my friends and my doctor said, "Hey, you ought to write a book." There's a lot of stories. Uh, you've dealt with a lot of stuff with these kids. You ought to write a book. And I, I'm one of those guys. I don't like to have any regrets. So I started writing stories of the kids that I had to work with and the struggles that they had. Uh, for instance, one chapter is about this kid named uh, Ronnie. He was a car thief and uh, he got involved in, and had a real big drinking problem and just how I kind of walked along with him on that journey to try to help him through all those difficult times he had. And now he's a social worker up in the state of Washington. And uh, oh, wow. I talked about another young man named, his nickname was Rat. We give a lot of the kids nicknames here. And he was a tagger and was arrested. And his parents brought him over here um, illegally. And they read him the Riot Act and why you're here in this uh, state and why you're, uh, why we brought you here for a better life. And he turned things around and became a master's champion. And this guy's just killing it in life. He he worked for the shoe company Asics. And he's just, uh, the young man is just doing fantastic. In fact, his daughter was just on the Steve Harvey show because his daughter is a, a wrestler and she beats a lot of boys. So um, huh. I wrote the book because I want people to know the story here. There's a lot of people out there that are living not maybe charmed lives, but they're living pretty good lives. Case in point, my sons, they're, they're living a good life. They have a mother and father. They live in a nice house, and they're going to school, and they rarely have any issues or struggles. And I want people to know what's going on in the inner city. And I also, my call to action is for them to be a saint in their city, to give back, to mentor, to find that one kid that your gut's just telling you, this one needs help. This one needs somebody to walk alongside of and just kind of give them advice and mentor them. Even though they don't always do what you want them to do or ask them to do or suggest them to do, like Anthony said earlier, after it's all said and done, you look back and go, well, you know what? What the coach said was mostly right. And as long as these kids are on the right track and they're going in the right direction and they now have a future and don't see any more hopelessness, then, then that was the goal. My, my job was done. So that's so the whole point of writing that book. You, so tell us about how you did turn this team and these kids around. Like you were saying earlier, you know, they had all these great excuses, like my dog ate my homework, you know, I have to, yeah. I have to feed the dog and all oh, they vacuum the house. And I mean, not that yeah. they didn't, obviously, in a lot of these it, situations, their parents do count on them to do all these things. Um, right. Because both parents are working or there's only one parent in the house to begin mm-hmm. with. Yeah. So they did have these things to do, but it's really. Right. So, a lot of these kids are growing up without a father in the home here that I'm working with, or a biological father is slim to none in, in this community. The culture also here is they don't value athletics, that work, like you said, is more important, paying the rent, 
putting food on the table, that's more important than being in a sport. A lot of parents tell their kids, what's wrestling going to get you? How's wrestling going to help you? So it was a real battle with parents and kids. And, and kids want to obey their parents. And so a lot of them will come up and go, I quit. I got to go get a job. And then I'll have to talk to the parent and I'll find a way to try to talk them out of it. In fact, one dad came to me and said, I can't afford ringworm medicine because a lot of the kids get ringworm skin infections. And it's real simple. I'll get it for you. And that kid went on to be a CIF champion and a state champion in college and wrestled over in North Dakota, and he's a fireman now. So his dad almost stole his dream from him because he couldn't afford medication. But that's where I come in. If there's something you can't take care of or you need to send your kid to the doctor, I'll do it for you. I'll I'll take care of that stuff for you and kind of fill in where the parent can't um, or doesn't have the resources for those kids. You must be pretty busy. Yeah, go ahead. I, I was busy. I was busy running around trying to take care of all the the issues that they were they were dealing with and trying to keep them out for wrestling. That was really important to me to keep them out because I knew the value and the 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 work ethic they could get from the sport. So we were really getting beat up. And I said earlier that I put myself worth in winning. And I heard the Lord speak to me one day and said, you're never going to win here. Just invest in these kids. So I gave up on winning. I I said, I'm going to be a mediocre coach with a mediocre program. And I started fellowship of Christian athletes and started sending kids to retreats and uh, church camps. And we had Bible studies once a week after school uh, in the gym. And I just started investing in those kids and, before I knew it, the following year we were 26 and three, and and the team that beat us 72 to nothing the year before beat us by six, and then our third year in the program uh, we won a league championship, beat all the Orange County schools that were really tough back then, and and it just it's just been a, a a really great. I don't want to call it. I guess it's a roller coaster ride. We've had a lot of ups and and a few downs, but. Uh, we still have a legacy of winning and a tradition of champions here. It's it's amazing how uh, just focusing on relationships and not so much the winning. The winning will come if you worry about relationships and and uh, trying to change a kid's life and make a difference. And so, was it mainly through you sharing your own story that you got the kids to trust you? I mean, these are kids, as I was think I was saying earlier. Um, yeah. You know, it's hard. Well, you come into the school, you're new, and why should I listen to you? Mm-hmm. And they sh- they shouldn't because they've had a lot of abandonment. A lot of people have, uh, have turned their backs on them. Other coaches have come in and out. Uh, the men in their lives have uh, showed up, and then they, they walk out on them. So, yeah, you're just another guy that's going to come and go. That's how they look at it. But because I was consistent mm-hmm. and I continued showing up every day, year after year after year, and then – and then investing in them and just trying to build a relationship. There's a saying, uh, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. So mm-hmm. I had to show them, to, mm-hmm. to, to get their trust, I had to show them that I care. Outside of the sport, outside of just being an athlete. A lot of coaches look at kids and go, what can that kid do for me? How can that kid mm-hmm. help our program mm-hmm. win? Instead, I was looking at how can I help that kid be more successful. Uh-huh. What can I do for that kid? How can I? Basically, it's being a servant leader, a coach. You need to serve your athletes, and once you start serving your athletes, then they can trust you, and then they'll start working for you. Then they'll start putting forth the effort. Mhm, mhm. Um, so. How did you get them to um, let you do this? Do prayer 
um, in the gym. Oh, so and you're you're legally you're allowed to be able to hold any kind of uh, Christian club on campus as long as it's not during the school time. So you can do one at lunch, or you can do one at at, at school. And uh, there's a, a what people don't understand. There's a lot more. Uh, I don't want to say laws. I guess there's a lot more rights. Christian educators and coaches have than people think, and we are able to secure a facility here on campus for a Bible club, just like for any other club, just like for an LGBTQ club or any, the chess club, any club on campus can secure a, a classroom or a gym if available to host those. And you bring uh-huh. in guest speakers, you bring in an organization like Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and they have a curriculum that you can follow. And the kids just needed a place to go to hang out after school because a lot of them just really don't want to go home. What, there's really nothing mm-hmm. there for them. Anthony's mm-hmm. one of those mm-hmm. kids. He didn't want to go home. So, yes. so I was just Why giving him a place, a refuge. Now? Yes, absolutely. So, Anthony, mm-hmm. why don't we start... Why don't you tell us your story? Because I think that will um, really, you know, make it clear to people what we're talking about, you know, from first person, from you. Okay. Um, well, I was born in Fullerton. Tell us about... I... Huh? Go ahead. Go okay, ahead. Uh, That's where I, I wanted born... to start from the beginning. I was born in Fullerton. Never really had a home. We were always just moving around a lot. My mom was always getting into trouble with social services. So a lot of times, like, we are either running from them or when they found us, my mom told us to say things to make it seem like she was taking care of us, you know, because I was, I always did what I was told younger. I, I didn't know any better, better. You know, I didn't really, I didn't really know much, you know. And to, as I got older and I look back, I see, like, a lot of, a lot of things that she was doing wasn't really right. I used to, we lived in uh, a trap house, and what that was is the house that sold drugs, you know, so we, our house growing up, it got shut up at, I remember, that's as far I can remember, is like, it was before kindergarten, I remember I was watching like, the very old Karate Kid movie, and, you know, t- people rolled up in cars with MAC-10s and shot up our house, and, you know, I was moving back and forth oh. a lot between Anaheim, um, Orange, Fullerton, just back and forth a lot. And then my third grade year, I ended up in Santa Ana. And in the elementary school, like, I was I was a troubled kid, you know. Like, I, I thought I was just having fun, you know. Like, I was just messing around a lot, always getting into trouble. And uh, I ended up at Santa Ana High School. I didn't want to wrestle at all at first, but... A friend of mine, he's like, oh, you got a wrestler, and I was like, nah, dude, because when I was growing up with him, like, we, we would fight a lot with each other. He knew a lot of jiu-jitsu and stuff. He's like, I was like, nah, dude, so it took me about like, a good week to actually join the team, and then once I got into it, and, like, I saw how it was, like, I found this, I was like, wait, thanks for you can say? So, like, I've, every time practice was over and stuff, like, I never wanted to go home. I was always just around GLAB a lot. A lot of times my mom would just tell me, like, she would just tell me to do things. I'd have to, like, like just go do stuff to make money. And, you know, I did. So I didn't really like going home at all. I was always here practicing, releasing my anger a lot. And 
uh, she used to leave me with my my stepdad's mom, and she was a drunk. You know, so like a lot of times, like she would just go off on me. She would say that I'm end up in jail, or prison. Like grown men are just gonna rape me in there, and I'm just a a fucking dumbass. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean because I'm 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 dumb. You know, like I'm an idiot. I don't know anything. A lot of times, my my older brother and sisters, you know, like they would also release their anger on me. A lot of the times, like they would just beat me up for no reason or. Like, they would just tell me I'm an idiot because I just need help on some homework real quick. And they would just say, how, how dumb are you? You can't figure this out yourself. And So your father it, your father left you at, at two, right? Your biological yeah. father. I never I never knew and that guy. You- I I met him when I was, when I turned 18. That's when I met my real dad. How did you meet him? Um... One day, my brother, he just came up to me. He's like, yo, you want to go see our dad? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, our, our, our real dad. His name is Ricardo, Ricardo Rosales. I was like, sure, man. You know, like, I don't have anything to lose, you know, because when I hit high school, shortly after, like, my sophomore year, I became homeless. And I didn't really tell Glab until, like, my junior year because I felt I felt scared, like, what he was going to do, you know? So I met my dad, and uh, it turns out, that he was he was a boxer when he was younger. Him and his brother. That's how I got into boxing after high school. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And how was that? What did he say when he saw you? Um. He's just like. He's like hi. You know. I was like, oh, what's up? Like, it wasn't really much, you know, because he wasn't anything to me. He was just like some other some other random person, you know. And, yeah, I call him Pops and all, but that's because he's my dad, but he's more of a friend than, like, I say, if anything else. Right now, he's in rehab, uh-huh. and my brother, he's still, he's living on the streets right now. Hmm. And, yeah, I'm I'm just here trying to, trying to make it in life, follow my dreams, you know, don't want to let him die. So, um, did your father apologize? For abandoning you? Yeah, he did. He said he was sorry that he wasn't there, you know, because he did some stuff and he got locked up into prison. And then when that mm. happened, my mom, she took us away from that whole side of the family. She kept us away from her side of the family, too. She didn't want us to, like, communicate to anyone. I think it was because a lot of the things that she was doing, a lot of, you know, like mm-hmm. a lot of the drug use and, like, the way she acted towards us and the things she did. And, you know, like, mm-hmm. I, I forgive her. Like, I understand, like, you know, like, it's 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 fun. It, it showed me a way to, like, to deal with things in a way. And, like, how to raise my kids when I get older, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, so there was a lot of, um, were you the youngest? You have three brothers and three sisters. Were you the youngest? I'm the middle child. Middle, okay. Because you, yeah, in your the essay more. that you wrote, what did you say? There's two more under me. Uh-huh. So, yeah. um, why, you apparently were the punching bag of the family, of your, your mother, your stepfather, and your siblings. How, why, how did that come about? I was thinking maybe because you were the youngest, but no. Yeah, so why no, yeah, did you that time, become the punching bag? Around that time, the little ones weren't there. They weren't born yet. So uh-huh. I was the youngest at a, at, a, at a certain point of this time. Like, I was the youngest one. 
and a lot mm-hmm. of the times, like no reason they would just go off on me. A lot of the times, like I wouldn't be able to like eat much because like my jaw would just be hurting and stuff, or it's like my ribs are hurt because like just it would just go off on me, and you know I think that's like the reason why like I didn't like going home a lot because it happened. It still happened a lot during high school. But, and, like, I learned how to defend myself because of wrestling, so they didn't really mess with me as much anymore. And then for the little ones, uh-huh. like, I've, I tried, you know, like, I, like, I tried to explain things to them, but they're just too young. You know, like, a lot of things that they're going through, it's really hard for them because they grew up in a different way than I did. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, they're just, like, taking it really hard right now. And, like, I still communicate with my little brother and sister because... They don't deserve what what's happening to them right now. How you mean it's even worse for them? Is that what you're saying? That it's even worse for the last two? Yeah, because they don't they don't really have a, like a a solid place to live right now. You know, they're going like hotel uh-huh. hotel. And I talked to my older sister recently. She called me, and she said that she has little ones with her, and she doesn't know where my mom's at. My mom hasn't spoken to me in like I say a good year now. And like the only Why time she, um, cause I tried, I tried like talking to her straight, like to make her think in a different way than the way she was. Cause she always falls back when, when, when shit hits the fan, she always falls back to what she knows. And what she knows is not really good what she does to make money. And I try to show her a different way of thinking of how making money. And she just blows up on me and goes off. And the only time she... She talks to me or calls me is when she needs money from me. Uh-huh. Yeah, so... Uh-huh. So, like, I I don't give her the money, but I tell her, like, what she needs, and I'll go get it myself, or I'll go pay that bill, me personally, yeah. for her. Yeah, I wouldn't. Uh-huh. I wouldn't just give her because money. You, right, because she would use it for drugs. All right, yeah, well, we need to take another break now, but when we come back, we'll hear more. Now you can now everybody um you all understand what I'm talking about wrestling with the devil uh lots of mm-hmm. devils drugs are devils uh domestic violence are devils and so on so stay tuned you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch and I'm your psychiatrist host Dr. Carol Lieber. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. 
Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. With me today is Scott Glab. He is the author of a book called A Saint in the City, Coaching At-Risk Kids to Be Champions, and that's what he has been doing uh, for 34 years, especially the last 29 years when he has been a coach at Santa Ana High School and has been not only making a winning team, wrestling team, but also making the kids winners. And my uh, second guest is Anthony Ravellis, and we've just been hearing his amazing story. And quite frankly, um, well, first of all, Anthony, that was very courageous, and thank you for sharing your story. But um, the nuts and bolts of it are even grittier than he has told us. So you can just uh, imagine. So, Scott, why don't you um, tell us about what it was like being the coach for Anthony? All right. Well, his story is not unique here. His story uh, is pretty tragic, and there's some that are even more tragic, and then there's some that aren't as tragic but still heartbreaking. So it's pretty common here to listen to stories like Anthony's uh, in this city. So Anthony came in as a freshman, and that year he came in as a freshman. There was a few kids that he was friends with, and they were all kind of just like little brats. They uh, were not easy to to work with. They had this chip on their shoulder, this edge to them. They're, it was a difficult group to tap into. And Anthony struggled in school. He just and and now see now hearing a story. We know why. He didn't have any hope. He didn't care about school. Uh, grades were not important. I get it. There's a lot more things to worry about than trying to pass a test or uh, get a, a C in your algebra class. But in order to wrestle, you have to maintain a 2.0 GPA average, and so we had to stay on top of him. And the first time I saw him wrestle, really get to re- see him wrestle was his freshman year, and he won this uh, tournament, Frost Soft tournament, and he has incredible natural strength, and just a, it was, wrestling was just a great fit for him. He had a lot of natural ability to be able to be an extremely, extremely successful wrestler. So when you see a kid like that, you have all this hope as a coach that, you know, if he can stick it out for the next four years, you know, he's, he's going to do some great things on the mat. But, you know, when he returned back to his neighborhood, all the demons would come out and he would deal with the, the gangs and the drugs and the alcohol. And it was just a battle all through high school with him. And there was moments where I just got tired and fed up and really just would want to walk away from him. But here's the thing. The kid just kept coming back to the wrestling room. Now, if he wouldn't have come back, 
I would have tried. I would have made some phone calls. I would have tried to track them down. But, you know, I got another 90 kids in that room that I got to worry about. So I'm just thankful that he just kept coming back because of a lot of kids he started wrestling with at his freshman year didn't make it through. They're gone. They're, they're out on the street. They're doing something else less productive. His senior year, he was homeless the whole senior year. He basically just walked away from his mom after they were evicted from uh, their house. And, he's, and we call it couch hopping here in Santa Ana. So he just went from one friend's house to another friend's house until they couldn't take care of him anymore or afford to take care of him. We found a guy that was able to help Anthony out financially uh, through that last year. And, of course, you know, anybody else that could help him with food and things like that. But uh, I, I just can't imagine being without a home, a place to lay your head. I mean, there was a few times where he slept here at the school overnight and uh, just kind of out front. So, you know, when you got a kid like that in your program, you really want to try to do what's best for him and try to get him the help. But Anthony's kind of stubborn too, and sometimes he didn't want that help or he didn't want to take that help. He had a lot of pride, and maybe he didn't like the fact that some of us knew what he was going through because it's a little embarrassing. But when it's all said and done, he, he, he finally just kind of, uh, let go and let us, you know, take care of him and try to do the best we could for him. It wasn't easy. And so what do you think? Well, now, Anthony, during the break, Anthony was uh, talking about some of his plans and dreams. And um, he's going to be, um, he's working at two jobs, or, or at least two jobs right now. And um, he is saving money to go to college. And his plan is to um, learn how to be, he loves cars, um, so his plan, his plan B, actually, is to be a car mechanic. But what he's really hoping for is to be an Olympian boxer, and he's doing boxing mm-hmm. now. Uh, he was graduated from high school, and now he's doing boxing. And um, also, he wants when he gets into college, he'll do some wrestling. Apparently, you have to be, you have to be in school to to do wrestling, um, but mm-hmm. he can do boxing at a gym. So, Scott, what do you think about now? It's so interesting, Anthony, because like, duh. You met your biological father, and he's a boxer. So do you think that might have something to do with you wanting to become a boxer? <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, uh, I talked to my uncle, and they were both in boxing. I told him I wanted to fight. And he told me, give me a few days, and I'll give you a call and see what I can do. A week later, uh-huh. he gives me a call, and he told me he found a gym in Santa Ana called TKO Boxing. And then ever uh-huh. since then, I've just been there. So it would seem to me, I'm not an expert in either of those sports, but it would seem to me that some of the skills and certainly the discipline that you learned in wrestling in high school with Coach Glab um, is helping you with the boxing, right? Yes. Actually, a lot of the stuff, just in life in general, what Glab talked talk to me about, like all the talks we've had and everything, really, once I finished high school, it just really just sank in, sank into me a lot. Because after high school, I'm an adult, you know, and I get to be, continue to be homeless and just be a druggie on the streets, or I could be something greater than that. And, like, so I, I, I sat for a while. I had, like, no ambition after high school to do anything. And I was just, like, all those talks I had with Glab and all the trouble I've been through, all the all the BS, basically, like, was it, it, was, it wasn't for nothing, so... I had gotten my ambition back, and I wanted to fight still, and I wanted to do something in my life. And uh-huh. I realized that 
a lot of the stuff that God was saying, like how, how talented I was, I didn't see that in high school at all. But then now, like, multiple people have told me that, and, you know, I just really just brought my confidence and my ambition to do something more with my life. So I really, I really mm-hmm. appreciate God coming into my life and stepping up to actually help me. And he really did change who I am. Because if it wasn't for Scott Glab, like, I'd just be another tweaker on the streets of Santa Ana looking for a next mm-hmm. fix or something, you know? Mm-hmm. But he really changed mm-hmm. my life around. Thanks, Anthony. Well, I hope... Did you hear that? Yes. I, I, Coach? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there That's are lots what... of stories like this where, where um, mm-hmm. stories in terms of you turn it... But if it hadn't been for you... A lot of those kids would be what Anthony just described. Yeah, yeah, and some of them are um, because they just didn't want to listen. I'm, I'm glad it, you know, he took some time to really reflect on his life and see where he was at and, and kind of figure it all out because it's really heartbreaking to see a kid that you just love and have a lot of respect for and they just can't seem to turn things around and it it's just it is it's like wrestling with the devil here i mean when they go home they they don't have me standing there whispering into their ear mm-hmm. what they can do mm-hmm. and who they are they just see all mm-hmm. the ugliness around them and that's not easy it's really tough to to fight it's really tough to overcome and some kids just they don't have the willpower to overcome it as much as we train mm-hmm. them and as much as we give them mentally and physically, they just they just can't do it. So it's it's pretty mm-hmm. depressing. Mhm. Yes, it must take a lot to keep on going. Well, I hope um, your book. It seems to me um, from talking with you today and even before that, just uh, thinking about what the book would is about. Um, that mm-hmm. would make an amazing, amazing movie. Have you been trying to talk with? Yeah, I've had a few, there's like three and a half scripts out there. You start something with somebody and you get a script going and, and then it kind of falls through. But right now, I don't know if you rem- know Jay Moore, the comedian and actor, Jay Moore. He uh, was in um, Jerry Maguire with Tom Hanks and he's got a lot of accolades. Uh-huh. So I gave him a book about a little over a year ago. And just in my inscription, I said, it's good to see you coaching wrestling. I saw him at a wrestling tournament. And he read my book and had mm-hmm. me on his podcast. And, and so, you know, he loves the stories in it. And he says he wants to get something done, but everybody's busy and he's read the script. So we'll, so we'll, well see. You know, we'll see. You, you don't even um, really need a script. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, yes, it helps, but sometimes that can work against you if the person doesn't like mm-hmm. the script. But really, right. there are agents who just take your book and send your book to the people who might be interested in it. And then they True. have their own um, script writers uh, yeah. writing the script. I mean, it seems to me that your book with all these stories would kind of mm-hmm. write itself for a script. Yeah, and I have a lot well, more stories, uh, too, So since I've written it. Uh-huh. But, um, I just uh-huh. don't know how to get an agent. I'm retiring from teaching this year. And so I'm going to put a little bit more effort in trying to, I have curriculum for my book. So uh, as a teacher, I taught my book this year in class because kids want to read something that they can relate with. There's a lot of great lesson plans. The the lessons are all based on intrinsic motivation, goal setting, making Mm -hmm. good choices. 
et cetera, et cetera. So my goal is to try to get out there and, and get it into public schools and Christian schools and private schools and, and just give yeah. something else for kids to read and, and let them read Anthony's story so that they can go, wow, okay, I don't have mm-hmm. it as bad as him. Mm-hmm. Or he made it mm-hmm. and my life is just like his. So that that's mm-hmm. my goal. And, you know, I'll see if I can track down an agent. I just, you know, I'm not a Hollywood guy. I'm just a wrestling coach and an English teacher. So that's a whole nother world I have to figure out. Well, okay. Well, it's not, it's not that hard once you have a book because you can just send that to, to people, you know, to different agents True. and so on. Well, we well, have thank to, you. Um, it's, it's, we're coming to the end of the show. Uh, I want to thank Scott Glab, Coach Scott Glab again. A book again mm-hmm. is called A Saint in the City, Coaching at Risk Kids to Be Champions. Anthony Ravellis, I want to thank you for your bravery, more bravery, in coming on the show and sharing some of your childhood and some of the devils that you've had to wrestle with. And I wish you both the best. And I'm um, talking about books and talking about getting books into kids' hands. Um, I want to tell all of you that um, you, to remind you, I should say, because I've talked about this some on this show, uh, my book, uh, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror, um, mm-hmm. is to help kids. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. It's won all kinds of awards. And um, wow. uh, this is the kind of thing that if parents, you know, you just heard as an example, if parents aren't talking to kids about things going on in the world, their own personal life and things in the bigger world, then kids grow mm-hmm. up and, and these kinds of questions become problems, um, uh, psychological problems. So it's important to talk to kids about all these kinds of things, like the things that Coach Glab talks about and the things that are in my book that help kids to build resilience. It's not just about mm-hmm. uh, terror attacks. It's about building resilience. So yeah, thank like you that. both for being on the show, mm-hmm. and thank you Thanks all for, for listening. Thank you. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 